Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. I'm very happy to announce the extension of our podcast sponsorship, the Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Dr. Sturette is a movement and mobility coach for players in the NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA, plus a doctor of physical therapy. Kelly has created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach. And if you haven't tried this, you got it. It's so simple. Every day, Virtual Mobility Coach gives you the guided videos and walks you through it step by step using Kelly's proven techniques to relieve pain, improve range of motion, and improve performance. Since coming on board as a sponsor, I've had a lot of listeners, including my own clients, my own athletes, who have been using these protocols on a daily basis, and we have seen an increase in recovery from training session to training session. What does that let me do as a coach? It lets me train them a little harder. It lets me push them a little bit harder. So you got to try it. It's completely free for two weeks. If you decide to continue, you can get an additional 10% off for life. You just have to use the promo code PROJECT10. Again, the promo code is PROJECT10 to use the Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach a sponsor of the Project Fitness Podcast. And welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. Today, we're going to be sitting down, even though we probably shouldn't be sitting down, because we are going to be talking about the importance of mobility. Today, we have David London, a mobility coach, and an online mobility coach. And he's going to sit down and he's going to chat with me a little bit about why it's so important for us to be mobile and then how it affects our training, whether we're general pop people or if we tend to dip into the heavyweights such as power lifters. So David, welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast. It's a pleasure to be on your show. It's really nice to be on the other end of the, the driver's seat. You know, being a host myself, it's nice to get the experience and as a as a guest. So thanks so much for having me. And yeah, just like you said, I'm a mobility coach and I kind of started out, you know, myself years ago as a personal trainer, but I felt like I was the guy who was, you know, always injured. So I kind of took it upon myself to figure out the best way to stay pain free and keep training hard. So I've done everything from, you know, gymnastics to powerlifting to yoga and to try to find ways I could, you know, train my body to move well, but also staying pain free. And that's especially a big thing. I know we'll go into, you know, heavy lifting a bit later on, but a lot of, you know, what I preach has been inspired from my own kind of, I've injured everything. So a lot of, a lot of. I wish I did mobility earlier on. Is the is the big thing. I think a lot of us sometimes stumble into our passions because they have a different meaning to us than to someone else. Such as you've overcome different injuries, but gymnastics to powerlifting. I mean, those are those are some extremes there, eh? And yoga too. Like those are some extreme things you did. Yeah, I felt like I was trying to do maybe all of it at once, which is probably why I had a lot of issues. But I realized like. Like I was powerlifting and doing yoga, but like the yoga wasn't really helped me so much in terms of like moving better. Like when I was lifting those weights in the gym, I found like whenever I would stretch, I would just, you know, lose my gains the next day. And it was a constant cycle of frustration because the first time I got injured, everyone's like, you're the yoga powerlifting guy. Aren't you supposed to not get injured because, you know, you do yoga? And then I was like, I had like a, a crisis. I was like, what is going on? So... <laughs> It just for me, like there's a lot of different mobility systems out there, but mine's kind of been like trial and error, what's worked for myself, like what's worked for my clients as well as, you know, a little bit of a blend of what, like what research we have out there. 
because there is so much, you know, so much controversy on should you do flexibility or mobility. So hopefully we can kind of simplify that for your listeners today too. Okay, well, let's start right with that. And let's let's break down the difference. What is the difference between flexibility and mobility? It's interesting because like you need flexibility is like, say I'm doing the splits on the ground or even um, like how far we can use an object or gravity or something to actually get us in a position. So we do need like a good foundation of that, but we can't just focus on that. So imagine you're lying on your back and you're pulling a resistance band to stretch your hamstring. That's, you know, because we're trying to relax the muscles and just elicit a stretch response and work deeper into the range. So I find like that's good, but we can't just do that. Whereas mobility is like, say you're lying on your back, how well could you use your muscles to actively pull your leg up into that position? So how much like control you have over the movement? And like what I found is, you know, while you do need to have a certain amount of passive range of motion or flexibility, you also need to build strength in that range of motion if it's gonna, you know, for the body to feel safe and comfortable and to maintain that range. So a lot of the times, you know, people will mistake it and do foam rolling and say they're doing mobility or they'll, you know, they'll do some stretching and, and say it's mobility. So it's not necessarily that, you know, it's right or wrong to do one and the other, but it's more so like the intentions you go in with it. Like if you go into it saying, you know, if you, if you view stretching as mobility, it's going to have a different outcome if is if you view mobility work as actually doing mobility um so whenever you're you're going through your your whether let's say your movement practice to try to you know to train your body to move better just think to yourself you know is there a way i can incorporate my muscles into this so i'm getting some strength as well so one one of the biggest things that i would tell people to change is just the muscle they're working is just trying to think if they can you know um really try to when they're going to position for example say you are working into Let's keep it simple. Say we're working into, just like we said there with the hamstring, you know, lying down on the back. When you're trying to pull your leg up and you feel the restrictions come on, I always tell people we want to build, you know, flexibility and strength in the end of the position. So really trying to use all your muscles to, you know, have good control. And then this is going to carry over more in towards, you know, our training in everyday life. Because at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people who are lifters or desk bound in general, well, we're really, you know, we're going to be limited in terms of our general like range of motion if we don't do any form of movement. So we really need to just focus on, you know, opening up these areas overall. And then once you have the good foundation, I think people can do more specific strength work. But I think like that foundation alone, like you could do strength work via just training at the gym or you can do it with, you know, just your body weight in terms of mobility. So would you say that um, the major difference between flexibility and mobility is passive range of motion versus active range of motion? I would say yes, but it's also like how we're specifically doing these things because there's a lot of ways we can do active range of motion, but not necessarily like every position is going to be the position that we want to use as a progression towards improving mobility. But I would say that's like the biggest, biggest difference there. I think a lot of people would agree on you know the definition of flexibility of being that it is a a, a non-active it's a lengthening you know mm-hmm. with minimal to no tension um it, it's stress-free kind of um origin to insertion pull them apart i think that's what we've all kind of understood through all the text and stuff and i remember um the definition of flexibility was uh i think Canfic came out uh, six or seven years ago and chris frederick from stretch to win 
um, Institute, he came out with a mobility definition. It was kind of similar to that. There's an active component to it as well. And then also thinking about the joint integrity, but it was, it was against the flexibility stuff that used to be, which was very passive origin to insertion point A to point B. And he also mentioned something about using multiple joints over one joint for different purposes as well. But I, I think it's changed a lot over the years. When, would you say so? Yeah, I think so. I think we need to have less of the ones better than the other or just arguing like we just need to promote people, you know, working on their mobility overall. And there are situations like you can do like a lot of what I still do today is like you can do active passive kind of at the same time like you could take a weight and you can load yourself into a passive position so you don't have completely relaxed muscle tone, but you still your body is going to have enough of those fibers working so you don't get injured. So I think there's different ways we can kind of incorporating them to get, you know, get more done in terms of less time. But I feel like the, I mean, the definitions, while they're important, I feel it's more so we just need to understand the principles to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And in your, in your practice, I mean, you're known as the desk bound therapy. I mean, that's, that, that's your social media. That, that's who you are. It's your whole business. Um, who are the type of people that you work with? What are the most common um, issues that you see? So I work with primarily like desk bound, like lifters. So I have CrossFitters, I have, you know, semi pro athletes, or I also help with just like general population desk bound people who are, you know, tired of being stiff and um, noticing these issues kind of impacting the work. It's a lot of I see people who, you know, sit a lot, have, you know, low back pain, they have issues, you know, squatting, deadlifting, hips are extremely tight. And I also just have people who have never done any form of mobility or movement work before and they want to become more active but they just feel like their their posture and their stiffness is holding them back so a lot of i see is you know a lot of shoulder and neck pain um a lot of you know not so much you know, we see a little we see ankles and like the extremities a little bit but a lot of it's mostly mostly you know you know the upper back neck shoulders kind of area and then we'll get those crossfit people will depending again person to person we will make sure that what we're doing is specific to their needs but there's a lot of like major themes is people struggle with you know their squats the struggle from being desk bound to you know hinge their hips but also just restore full range of motion to the shoulder but the biggest thing if i have to say one is you know the stiff off their back like people just get so stiff that it takes, you know, years and years of just sitting and not really having that mobility. It takes a lot of work to restore that range of motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, when you're dealing with uh, uh, like tonic muscles and they just stay in these bad postures, bad positions for long term, you know, like really long term, all of a sudden they start to get a little calcified and then all of a sudden you get the downwinders hump. And then it's like, how do you how do you go back from that? Um, have you ever had cases before where people came in and it looked physically deformed where you'd be like your posture looks you know you look like a gargoyle you kind of look like you know you're not going back the other way but yet with some of your your teachings and your trainings you were able to actually change someone's posture yeah actually one of the first people i worked with uh back in person back in the day he was um he had scoliosis his whole life and we thought that he was going to be you know that's the way he had to be but we ended up finding out, you know, working on his hips a lot, working on the parts of his spine that weren't so rotated. And we ended up going to the point, again, he is a, he wasn't perfect, but we definitely got at least, you know, five degrees of movement back in his spine, which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And there's another case, I'm just trying to think of who would be a, a highlight here, but I had not so much in terms of someone being super stiff, but I had this one guy, his name's uh, Josh, who... We got him to the point where he he woke up without feeling stiff for the first time in his life. And he was only like 30, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. 30 years old. Like 
I don't think you should be feeling stiff. You know, I, I've been, I've, I've power lifted 68 times in front of people. Like I've done 68 competitions. I like to work out in front of people. And, um, I would never, ever associate myself as a tight person. I'd never associate myself as a, as a loose person either, but I, I get up, I roll out of bed. I feel pretty good. If I wasn't, if I was feeling stiff, uh, I mean, I remember I knew one, uh, colleague of mine years ago, and he told me that when he got at his worst, he had to put his socks on with tongs. Oh man. And, and just the, just the way he talked, I said, I thought he said thongs. I said, you have <laughs> to put your socks on with thongs. And yeah. he's like, I'm like, I don't understand. He's like, tongs. He's like showing me clap, clap, clap. I'm like, Oh, tongs. I'm like, wow, that bad is. Yeah. I can't reach my feet. Right. And he was like the same age as, as me. And uh, he got, he was an interesting case is that it, a lot of his body um, issues, his mobility issues, his stiffness was from standing, not from sitting, but he would, he was like a full-time trainer, you know, those 70, 80 hours a week of standing on cement, you know, in a running shoe. And he's like, at the end of the day, I felt so stiff. I had no desire to work out at all. So we actually stopped working out and he got stiff from standing. Have you ever uh, come across that with someone? I've had a few patients where they, you know, we've, I've gone in home and done ergonomic assessments and they tell me they're standing all day, but they'll be standing with like on one leg, like with their head forward in like terrible positions. So I think like, like there's those cases where we think we're having, you know, optimal posture while standing. But I think mm-hmm. the biggest thing is, you know, it's hard to just sit all day and just stand all day. There has to be some sort of, you know, movement variability in between there. So like I was just working at a, a physiotherapy clinic and I was standing all day and, you know, it was on concrete and I tried, you know, different pairs of shoes and it's definitely not easy on the body, but I think the big thing is really making sure you're, you're finding ways that you can just offload or get movements into other positions. But I do agree. It's tough. Cause when, you know, the feet get sore and there are foundation, it's hard to have, you know, a good posture, you know, in the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. But I haven't, you know, worked with anyone specifically who's who has issues, you know, just standing. I've just kind of done a few kind of case studies and ergonomics assessments. But it's definitely true. We don't talk about it a lot. Like, you know, it's a lot of load on the feet. And, you know, over time, you know, you, you, it can develop into, you know, plantar fasciitis, which could, you know, completely, you know, affect your training and movement overall. So definitely something that yeah, I mean, hopefully there's some better flooring for the gyms or something. I, I, I don't know, when I was training my clients at the gym, I'd always do, you know, stretches with them when they're stretching or just yeah. finding ways I could keep my body that's, moving. That, that, that's a big one. And, you know, I've been uh, an advocate of that for years. Um, hitting the floor, doing the isometrics with them, we'll grab a lacrosse ball, do it with them, right? I got some of my ladies, they love doing those side leg lifts, you know, outer glued, upper glued, back, and I'll be lying on the mats with them and I'm banging them out like it's 1985, we're doing aerobics class. Nice. They'll walk by, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I got eight clients today, like I need to move my butt or, you know, I'm going to get stiff myself. Do you think that there is a tolerance? You know, I had a friend years ago, used to work at the uh, airport. And uh, they had scheduled breaks. They had to break at so many, whatever it was, minutes. It was down to the minutes. It was like this many minutes because they were standing doing security, right? On their little mats. And when this minute hit, they had to go and sit down. So they had it scheduled Mm -hmm. and it was for their health. They couldn't stand beyond because someone said standing was too much at this duration here. Do you think the human body does have a limit where when you're standing beyond X, there's going to be a negative side effect? Or, Or how would you look at that? 
I think the biggest thing is to really work on developing your awareness for your body and getting to the part where you understand where your limits are. For example, like if you, if you trained yourself to be able to stand longer before any discomfort comes on, then that's great. But we need to be able to listen to the cues from our body. So like when I sit, I can, because I've been doing this for so long and I have, you know, a uh, good awareness over my body. I know when I need to stand up, but part of that's from, I, I had a partial tear in my glute two years ago and that's Ooh. made me, and that's made me super, like super aware. Like when it starts getting sore, I'm like, all right, I got to stand up right now. It doesn't really bug me, but in the past, you know, few months I'd be like, all right, I got to stand up. So I always tell people like, if you're starting to get antsy, then maybe get up. Or if you're starting to notice you're, you know, rounding forward, get up. But I think it's just, you know, really giving people strategies. One thing I noticed though, as I've, you know, really worked on my mobility and my posture a lot is it's not like a scientific term, but what I like to use is, um, kind of it's not specifically tissue tolerance but i call it kind of stretching kind of like your body's intelligence for example like how long like how much work is required for example say sit for an hour like say five years ago i'd have probably to stretch maybe you know five to ten minutes to really loosen that and then you know now i'm at the point where i can just get up and walk around just move around maybe do like a some dynamic movement and it gives me that same relief so i feel like once the body feels more comfortable with certain positions it's easier to to release that tension, but I don't think there's like a specific time that, you know, we need to, to move, but I think we should be trying to, to move at least every hour. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I just want to rewind a bit here. You mentioned a couple of times, uh, you had some injuries in the past. You yeah. mentioned that you worked in a physio clinic and then you mentioned that you had a partial tear in your glute. So I want to dig, I want to, I want to find out a bit of history here. I want to know, All right. you know the details of the injuries that you had and, you know, and maybe you're training in a physio location before you went into, into PT. So my most recent injury, I was playing ultimate Frisbee Jan 2020 and it was indoor and I don't like indoor, but I played and there was a knee on knee collision. So I stopped really fast on my left leg. But it, it was fine after that. I played the game, but the next day I got up and I couldn't turn left and I couldn't walk. And I felt the bulge. Luckily, it wasn't like torn off the bone, but I went to like three other therapists to try to figure out like, is this a strain? Like what is going on there? Because there wasn't any pain until I, I sat down. So it was like annoying. Mm -hmm. And that was like the, probably the most chronic pain I've had to deal with. Like some days it still bugs me because, you know, sometimes scar tissue takes a really long time to let down. So that's really, you know forced me to really find different ways I can strengthen it, find different, you know, angles I can train at with those, you know, sideline leg lifts, whatever, and just like focus on maintaining the mobility. That was like the big struggle. It's like if I stop working on the mobility here, the hip caps is going to get tight and I'm going to have a really struggle with when I wanted to go back to training. So that was probably like, like probably like the most, like the biggest struggle I've had in the last three years in terms of that. Mm -hmm. And then prior to that, it was just issues. This was, I started Eskimo therapy in 2016. So prior to that, I was doing my undergrad at the University of Toronto. And I, you know, I wasn't really, I was teaching yoga at that point, but I wasn't really uh, a personal trainer. I was just working at myself, kind of, kind of fucking around, you know, doing a bit of powerlifting, a bit of, you know, calisthenic stuff. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that my posture was so bad whenever I was just kept getting, you know, shoulder impingement after you know shoulder impingement and i didn't really know about you know the right muscles to train to balance out a lot of the anterior work we do mm -hmm. so a lot of it's just been like you know 
Like I had, you know, I the day after I won a, like a bench press competition at the university, I think I got like a shoulder impingement or not that I just decided I was like, you know what, let's train for the next one. So I didn't deload and I got an impingement like at my next training day. So it was just like, I feel like those early injuries definitely are the most frustrating, but sometimes like if you don't learn the lessons from them, they can be reoccurring. Like I tried to really push through it and train through it and do the movements that were uncomfortable or, you know, or now maybe eight, nine years later, I don't know how long it's been, but years later, I think the first injury was 2014 of my shoulder. But I think the biggest thing is instead of focusing more on the movements that I can do when you have, you know, aches or pain instead of things you can't, it's been as a big kind of shift for me, but also just like being in the mindset that it's okay to just kind of change your course just temporarily. Like, like the injury isn't going to, and I know you got that, that, that book in the background about injuries. That's a, that's, that one's on my list to read for sure. But oh, I rebuilding think it, Milo. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's a great Dr. book. I, yeah. Yeah. I had him on the show when he talked about that. It was, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, to reading it over the holidays. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the biggest thing is just telling yourself it's okay to, you know, to do some accessory stuff that you need for your injuries or doing stuff that isn't always specific to your goal like doing things that are going to help you maintain your, your body's integrity, even though, you know, you want to get to the goal, just like realizing that you need to do these small little things, these meticulous things to, to take care of your body. Yeah. I think, um, injuries are phenomenal. I love them. I'm a big fan of injuries for power lifters. Let me tell you why though. They're the best lessons you can learn. Mm-hmm. A lot of people jump into the sports is cool. Like it's cool. When I started, it wasn't cool. Like no one videoed it. No one had videos. You'd have to like bring a hand camcorder. They didn't exist on your phone to video your lift. So Instagram didn't exist, right? It was a very niche select group of people that like to drink beer and lift heavy in their basements. And then on the occasion, they would go out and do it in public in front of people. So powerlifting wasn't really a thing. And then all of a sudden the internet came out and then all of a sudden you can see it on social media and it's a way to, you know, express dominance, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It became very cool. And then everyone just jumped right into it, just jumped right into it. It was like all the racks are being used in the gym. Everybody's lifting heavy and everyone is throwing darts with the lights off. And what's happening is a lot of people are running into certain problems. And for the majority of us, I think it was a great way to learn a lesson. Like you already said before, you won a competition. You went right into your next training cycle without a deload. You got an impingement. I bet the next time, that you, you competed, you put a deload in right after, right? 100%. And, then when, and then when someone said, David, you know, what should I do after I just did four really hard weeks and feeling beat up? You're probably like, we'll take a deload, like chill out, recover. Really? Are you sure about that? Yeah. Let me tell you a story. And then all of a sudden that lesson that you learned, you can pass on to other people. I think it's the exact same thing with programming. I'm a big fan of people, you know, practicing and trying to program for themselves in the beginning. Because they'll, they'll learn what works. They'll, they'll figure out what works pretty quick. And then they'll fall into what doesn't work. And then they can use that to determine and make better decisions. I like to say as a, as a coach myself, you know, I've seen the mistakes been made. I've made certain mistakes myself. So I'm going to suggest we do this based on this data that led to this before. But I'm still a big fan of people you know, kind of making some mistakes in the beginning to, to learn from it obviously without any long-term effects, you know, you get a little shoulder impingement, you take a deload, you learn some um, corrective exercises, it goes away. That's much better than like, Hey, you, you tore your ass, <laughs> right? You know, that's something that's going to affect you 10 years down the road. But I've always thought it's not a bad idea that sometimes you gotta, you gotta make a mistake and then you learn from it. I mean, sometimes they're just like, 
when you least expect them to. Like, it was my first game back in a while, but it's not like it was indoors on court. And, you know, as a powerlifter, you want to go hard. So I went super hard, and, you know, that's what happens. But, like, I, someone I had on my podcast yesterday, I didn't even know until after the episode that she she was running up one of those warped walls on the ninja thing and she like completely tore her achilles it's just you know sometimes you know we can't predict when these things are hap- gonna happen but i think what we can do is is like you said is learn from them mm-hmm. yeah i mean i know a thousand pound squatter who blew out his knee turning to pick up his dog right like just twisted wow. and went to pick up his dog and blew out his knee and uh this man is a sagittal plane monster right if he stays in that plane he's gonna move the house squats over a thou. But when you add rotation to it, it's too much for the for the joint. So it depends on what you want to do with with the sport. What do you want to do with strength training? And when I coach people, one of the questions I always ask right off the bat, I say, what does powerlifting mean to you? What does it mean to you? And they'll say, what do you mean? I said, what does it mean to you? Like, is it a hobby? Is it something you use to de-stress? Are you an athlete? Do you want to be competitive? Do you want to be competitive at the local level, national level, international level? Like, you let me know where you want to go. And that determines how we're going to train. And then you also have to accept certain things. People might say, what do you mean? I'd be like, okay, well, what does it mean to you? Well, I want to be at the highest level. I want to go to the world championship. Okay, great. What do you do besides powerlifting? Well, I play hockey. I I picked up pickleball. I like to go for long hikes in the the summer, like three-hour hikes. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's probably going to slow down your progress. What do you mean? Like, shouldn't I be like a healthy balance? I'm like, "You, you probably should. But I tell you what, most people at the world level they're not doing that because that's taking away from their lifting and they're going to get tweaks going up and down mountains, twisting hockey, their groin's going to pull because they don't train for that. They train in a sagittal plane and they adapt to a sagittal plane. And when you throw all these other things at them, something bad's going to happen. If you want to do that as well, no problem, but you're not going to be putting in 24 hours a week of powerlifting. You're going to have to put in transverse plane stuff. You're going to have to do some aerobic conditioning. You'll be good, but just be aware that you're probably not going to reach that level. A lot of people don't like having that conversation with me. And I've had people before be like, I don't want to work with you. I'm like, that's fine. But that's just my observation from what I've seen with the data. And when you talk to the best in the world, they don't do anything else. They just do that. And when they get these little nagging injuries, nagging injuries in training lead to serious injuries when they try to do something they haven't done. You ever see um, uh, bodybuilders sprint? It's the funniest thing on the planet, a bodybuilder trying to sprint. Bodybuilders are really good at bodybuilding. Isolate a muscle, shorten it, lengthen it, shorten it, lengthen it, eat, sleep, repeat. That's it. Like if you see a pro bodybuilder trying to sprint, they don't have the running mechanics they used to have. They got too much muscle mass. They stopped doing it and they always tear or strain the exact same muscle. It's always the hamstring. It's always the hamstring. I bet their hamstrings are strong as shit right? You put them in oh, isolated. Leg curls. <laughs> yeah. Leg curl, right? Absolutely. But when you put them in a change of direction pattern, when you put them in an explosive movement, because they haven't trained it, that's what's happened. And I've seen a lot of guys, big guys in the gym who go and they try out for the CFL or the U S and they, they get like a walk-on position then they start sprinting and then boom, it just goes. And it's just because it's not the same thing. You can't have it all. You just can't have it all. That's my view. Have you seen something similar to that? I think it's interesting and I think like it more resonates like with what I was trying to do in the past. Like I wanted to 
to be strong in powerlifting because I started off with gymnastics in high school. Mm-hmm. Then at uni was my first time being in a gym and everyone was powerlifting. So I tried to really associate myself with both. So I think a lot of my injuries were because I was spreading myself short. So I never really excelled in like to my potential in either. It was mostly like just being like just above average. So, mm-hmm. and now like it, it's hard because I find I always want to, you know, now I'm just doing calisthenics. But now I was like, you know, maybe in a few years when my legs are a bit stronger, maybe I'll try powerlifting again sometime. So, but I mean, there's people too, like where I'm more the, the the camp of just trying to help people, you know, improve their mobility so they can be functional and move well for everyday life. So the people I, I personally train aren't powerlifters, but they're like adults who are like, yo, I want to be able to bend over and play with my kids without being in pain or, you know, mm-hmm. go on the slide with them and get into these weird positions. So I help people get, you know, super mobile like i help people you know learn how to do stuff like back bends and get better at forward folds working you know the core with a lot of rotation stuff too like i work with a lot of baseball players because they they need a lot of mobility and that's you know something i i do so we do a lot of hips a lot of thoracic spine but i haven't had too many people who have wanted to you know do powerlifting and hiking because i know for one thing you know whenever i'm hiking i'm looking on the ground watching every twig because i don't want to turn my ankle yeah yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I was in uh, Banff, Alberta, a bunch of years back. It was a Canadian Nationals. And we went up, you know, four or five days early. There's myself and a group of lifters. We had some downtime before anyone was lifting. So we all decided to go to, to the zoo, the Calgary Zoo, and uh, went for a walk. You know, we were there for like three hours. It was funny. Like at that, that 30 minute mark, you know, the biggest guy, the super heavy is like, oh, like my back, back's bugging me a bit okay cool and then sure off the hour mark it's like everyone's like oh man my back's bugging me too and guys like my foot hurts and we we didn't finish like we didn't finish all the the, the zoo tour or whatever like we left early because everyone was like starting to ache i remember just sitting back and being like this is hilarious like here are some of the best people at doing three exercises you know in the country or gassed doing a walk but it opened up my eyes it really opened up my eyes to say like what do you want to do? I'm talking to myself. What do I want to do when it comes to lifting? How do I want to be perceived? Do I want to get gassed, you know, walking up and down a hill? No, no. I still play like men's sports and stuff. So for me, it's like, I want to be able to go and do that. And I want to be able to go and do some lifting. And I want to be able to stand eight hours a week as a personal trainer. And I want to be able to be faster than my kids. And I want to keep up with my wife. Like there's things that I want to do when it comes to lifting, but lifting is not everything, you know, for myself. So when there's other people you're talking about, you're trying to get people a little bit more mobile, I'm sure we're all in a similar camp when it comes to that. Are there certain movements that you say like, or like the big ones, the big blocks that really move the needle that a lot of people you deal with, they struggle with right off the bat. And you say, once we clean this and this up, we see really big results. Oh yeah. hundred percent. It would be, you know, teaching people to have had a hip hinge is like one of the first things I do with people after we assess, you know, their hamstring mobility and we assess their lower back. Because I, I focus a lot on, like, my assessment is, you know, 90% looking at someone's active range of motion, kind of holistically. So I want to see how well you move, you know, holistically in a bunch of functional different positions. Then helping people clean up their squat is a big one. In addition to that, just um, helping people improve their the thoracic and overhead mobility. So I find those are, you, know, you can really get a lot done with just those specifically, like trying different variations to, you know, 
hip hinge better working because if we, if we if we focus more so getting you better at a pattern and a position it's a lot more fun like all right we're just gonna you know work on your ankles just for the hell of it versus like if we can make you you know better into a certain position develop strength in those positions you know so those are the things we do naturally every day and i find you know you know 99 of people who with lower back pain if we can you know get the hips and hamstrings moving better and get the core a bit stronger, then we'll we'll definitely see some huge results. Like some of the people in my uh, online program, you know, just based on the assessment, they'll message me like, "Yo, dude, it's been two weeks, and I'm I'm squatting pain free. My lower back pain's gone." So I find if we focus on just getting people moving better overall, improving the mobility and the movement quality, then we're gonna see you know we're gonna see some some crazy results, you know. In a, in a good period of time because we actually have, you know, a focus to that and the client, you know, understands that and they want to to get to that point versus, you know, if the, we just, you know, here's a general routine you can do to be mobile everywhere and it might not be specific enough to get the, the results we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that the hips are the big one for you? Take care of the hips. Everything else tends to follow suit. Typically, typically, yes, I say hips and I would say hips and thoracic spine are both equally important. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like sitting, like the hips are like, you know, monster tight for a lot of people. Okay. So I have a feeling if someone's listening to this, they're probably sitting. They might be driving into work. They might just be chilling at home on the couch, might have this on. So if they're listening to this. You know, what's a couple tips you might give to someone that gets stiffness, tightness or restrictions caused from excessive sitting? I would just say to to learn about the full range of motion in the hips. A lot of times, like you said, we, we live in the forwards and backwards plane and people are lacking rotation in their hips specifically, you know, whether squatting, bending over, et cetera. Can't, that can lead to issues because we don't really use the hips how most people, I don't, not specifically lifters, but generally we don't necessarily bring our hips through the full range of motion every day. Like we, you know, we walk and we flex and we extend a lot of times we're not, you know, working our full, you know, abduction outside or adduction inside and specifically like rotation. So I think the biggest thing is just learning, like overall, whatever your mobility goal is, like understanding the function of the joint and the available range, and then just finding different ways we can work in it is a good starting point. But in terms of that, and then that will really help you like understand like why we're doing the specific movements, but also like where to have your thought process. So it's not as like complicated as it needs to be, but just kind of understanding like a lot of times, like say you've never done mobility, stretching, yoga class, you might not understand the purpose behind things. And then that can make it harder for you to, you know, personally integrate into your schedule or like make it a habit of which I find too. But one thing too, is like, if you're sitting, just noticing where you feel your stiffness, like, is it at the front of the hip? Like, is it a, is it a pitching? Do you feel stiff, you know, on the back of the, you know, in the, in the glutes or under the leg, just kind of understanding where your restrictions are is big too. And then we can use that as like I talked about earlier as one of those cues to, to want to get up and move around a little bit. How important is nutrition and hydration on mobility? Good question. I've talked about this a little bit in the past. Definitely, if we hydration is important, I'm not sure what the data says in terms to like how much is going to make a noticeable effect. Like in the past, the research said like you know dehydration can lead to cramps, whereas there's a bit of conflicting research now. But generally, like you don't want to be dehydrated when you're you're moving overall. So I find sometimes if you personally like sometimes I used to do a lot of mobility in the morning 
right when I woke up, but I te- I noticed that my body really wasn't ready yet. So now I'm making sure that I'm getting some good hydration in because I've had like incidents where like I'm half asleep and I'm like just going through the motions to do a morning routine like in the past and I sometimes accidentally tweak something. And that could that could be related to water, who knows? But I think the the biggest kind of going off track, but the biggest lesson with that is to kind of not go through the motions when you're doing mobility so you don't injure yourself. But I just think overall, like if you if you wanna improve mobility, there's nothing wrong with, you know, living and you know, focusing on your nutrition because you know, we want to make sure we're supporting good cartilage, you know, good elastin elastic tissue, like having the, the hydration there is gonna be important. <laughs> it's it's all it's all really connected to and you know, you know, making sure you're getting enough magnesium for the muscles and calcium and all those things we need for, for optimal muscle health. <laughs> yep. No, I would um I would I would attest to that. I mean I found that for myself and then we talk about these lessons, right? I found for myself when I started lifting heavier weights in the beginning, I could train any time of the day. I could roll out of bed. I could go train. I could train as for bed. No big deal. But I wasn't, I wasn't lifting that heavy at the time. It was relative. It was heavy to my current strength. But then as I got stronger and the weights got heavier, I remember trying to do some, some heavier squat and deadlift sessions early in the morning. And my spine would just be like, yeah, no, that's not happening. Like chill out fudge. Don't do this. And then I found that if I was up for a few hours and then I would go to do it, it'd be totally different. And then learning a little bit about the spine afterwards, about the, the process of hydration of discs and space between and how it's different in the morning to later. And they're, yeah, they're, they're more hydrated and they're, they're the larger in the morning and it's why we're taller, but they're less stable. And, you know, if you lift 200 pounds, that doesn't matter so much, but once you get up, you know, over 400 pounds, they might need to be a little bit more stable. So I would have to change the timing of my training to adjust with how my body was changing too. And I've learned from that. And I've applied the same principles when I work with people as they get stronger too. And I say, Hey, you're now lifting pretty heavy. We're going to have to modify the timings that we do our training or we have to change the order we do them and so forth or have you get up a little bit earlier. And I found some good, uh, uh, good results with that on people just because the body, the body will adapt to what you impose on it. And if you want it to get stronger, it's going to get stiffer, you know, at certain levels, it's not going to be super mobile. What would you say um, affects body posture, range of motion, mobility in relation to emotional stress? How does that play a fact? What if someone has baggage? Let's say they've they've had some trauma in their life. Does that show up in the body too? Well, the research does show us that in terms of I don't know stress specifically, but in terms of you know confidence, like if you people who sit who are more confident will be have you know better posture. Whereas, you know, when we are, you know, stressed and bumming out, I think it becomes more it's not top of mind anymore. And then we naturally kind of get into a position because we have to consider like the effect of like our emotions do affect like we hold emotional tightness in our body. At least that's what the like I I was taught in my yoga teacher training is like 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 the hips and the shoulders. Usually the stiffest areas tend to hold the most emotional stress. So when we're holding on to things like the body needs to like the body holds on to tension in different ways, areas in the mind. So like that, that's what and I've, I've noticed too, like when I'm teaching a class and we do like a, a deep hip opening sequence, so we're doing some hip mobility that pe- like generally like the energy in the room feels less tense and less stressful. So I definitely believe there's some sort of connection in terms of like the stress, but I do feel too, like if you're just doing mobility and you're stressed, 
you're not going to be breathing properly and you're not going to be able to relax the nervous system enough to really elicit changes because your body needs to feel comfortable to improve your mobility. Like you don't have good mobility right now, you know, one, because you haven't worked on it, but two, because, you know, if your nervous system's jacked up, your body's not going to feel safe no matter what. And a lot of times we need to, we need to, to work on, you know, combating those things too. So really focusing on, you know, I, I teach all my clients like diaphragmatic breathing, like on their first personal training session, just so, you know, we got that, that foundation down so making sure that you know you're not texting on your cell phone while you're doing mobility work mm-hmm. or you know or 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 whatever you're doing just making sure you're, you're focusing on the breathing can be can be huge and there's different you know breathing patterns and techniques we can use to try to relax the body i definitely think you know more i don't know like I, probably more research is needed i'm sure there's more out there but definitely i feel everything like if we're looking at and improving the body from holistic approach that we can't just we have to look at everything so definitely mm-hmm. interesting i haven't considered it but it's really interesting you got a cat you got any pets you got a cat i have a dog yeah okay so i got i got a cat i've had cats my whole life growing up when you scare a cat when you scare a cat hard enough it can walk on two legs are you familiar with this have you ever seen these no no wow so animals that can walk on two legs usually have some form of glute development that's one of the major differences between us you know and four-legged animals we've got bums they don't so we can stand up and walk on two legs cats don't have a butt you've never really like, like hey look at the glutes on that cat but if you scare a cat enough and it fears its life and it's going to fight another cat what it will do is its entire spine will coil up hard enough it will actually lift it off the ground it can walk on two feet that is a emotional response that can cause its body to tighten up so much to change its posture and its ability to fight fight or flight when a cat gets into fight or flight it can walk on two legs how crazy is that that's that's actually nuts i gotta look that up you gotta get on youtube man there's some cool videos there um so there's an example you know i don't know how how that carries over into human life. You know, we're not cats here. Um, last time I checked, meow. But, um, but, but cats can do that. That leads me to my next question I was going to ask you, you're already talking about, is the importance of breath work on mobility and posture and stuff. You mentioned the diaphragmatic breathing. Can you explain how that works and how does that affect people when they breathe differently on their posture and their mobility? Yeah, so I find a lot of people who are desk-bound or in general like are, have issues with their posture generally breathe more shallow, like a lot of movement with the chest, like especially, you know, after a heavy set of squats, like you're going to use your all your accessory muscles to help, you know, that rib cage expand to breathe. But in terms of like diaphragmatic breathing refers to helping to teach you how to breathe from the diaphragm, from the belly, using the the core muscles of respiration. So we're not just breathing with the chest. And it's a lot more relaxing for the body. So the one I typically do is we we lie on our back with our feet together and the knees are splayed out. I'll have people place one hand on the stomach, one on the chest. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And I'll just ask them, where do you feel the movement when you're breathing? So a lot of times they'll say, I feel my, my, you know, my upper hand moving. So I'm like, all right, let's see if we can focus on you know, feeling that that as we inhale, the bottom hand lift up and feeling it drop as we exhale. And I would, and I would usually do that for like 10 to 12 minutes until people kind of learn to disassociate the two. Because we're going to, you know, it's going to help with our cardiac endurance when we're, when we're at the gym. It's going to help with our lifting. It's going to help with, you know, all areas of our life. We can just learn to, because like naturally, we, you know, it's a automatic process breathing, but we can get a lot of benefits out of it by 
being able to also actively control the way we're breathing, mm-hmm. which is which is pretty cool. So like I find that is something that you know is is super neglected and something that can really help with your practice. Like I find too, especially like just people who are mouth breathers, like are we're we're not really optimizing, you know, our our capacity for how we can influence the nervous system. So I always start off people like, you know, as you're going through the motions with the mobility, just like lifting, you want to inhale before the movement, kind of exhale with a little bit of exertion, but making sure you're, you're I, I try to tell people to lengthen the exhale as long as the movement, like the whole way out. Mm-hmm. And really making it a full body experience instead of I'm just going to stretch my hip in this pigeon pose and just kind of dump my body and hopefully it relaxes. But I find, you know, I'm super... I would say I'm, I'm pretty, pretty darn mobile. I credit a lot of that to just me being stubborn, hanging out in these positions and sometimes breathing in them for, you know, an extended period of time to just get the body to comfortable enough to, and relaxed enough to allow me to eventually work on the mobility there. Yeah. I think people are, are unaware of the effects of, uh, or the importance of the being able to relax and how the breath work can flip you from a sympathetic nervous system to a parasympathetic nervous system that things chill out. I mean, right now, if an anesthesiologist came in your room and jabbed you in the neck with a needle and knocked you out, we could take your leg and pull it behind your head. You know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. body just turns into goo once the nervous system is, is deactivated and the breath work can really yeah, help have, do Actually, that, right? speaking of YouTube videos, there's, there's ones where people have frozen shoulder. They put them under anesthesia and boom, full range. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. I, I've always been a big fan of um, working uh, into fears. And then working through fears, I mean, I'm a dad. So it's like, a, it's a no brainer. Anytime my kids are scared of the dark, let's go, let's shut all the lights off. Let's go, let's go expose ourselves to it. And then, you know, teach them that you can get over, you can get over certain fears. And I find in the training world, it's the same thing. When someone I've seen people in a body weight squat, sit on the floor. And then all of a sudden you put, you know, a 20 kilo bar on their back and they're squatting three quarters higher. You're like, Whoa, whoa, what just happened? Well, I don't know. I can't tight. Well, you're tight. You're probably just fearful. You think you might get hurt. You might fall down and building up their confidence and their competence. And then all of a sudden they're good to go. Never mobility issue. Never, you know, they were stiff nowhere. It was just, they were fearful when it came to trying to the exercise. Yeah, it's definitely all connected. And that's something more like in the, we do a lot of in terms of like in the physiotherapy world, we talk about people with these things and we really get to know like they're, you know, they're like, like just more about them to really see if we can help them. Cause a lot of it too is like, is education and, and building that relationship with the patient or the client. Yeah. I, I had a small thing many years ago um, and I, no one could figure it out. You know, my area of Ottawa, I went and saw all the average people. Then I saw the specialist and no one could figure out my knee. It just, you know, my knee hurt when I'd squat, you know, over 400, but it was fine at 390. And I'm like, I just, something's up, something's up. You know, people were saying, you got to get your knee replaced. You're going to have this or that. You're too young. You should stop lifting heavy weights, take up running. I'm like, what is going on? And I started believing it. It was just crazy. But then all of a sudden I would start to feel my knee pain at like 380, 350, 300. And I'm like, this is cr- like, what's going on? I'm not even pushing it. And then I went and saw uh, Dr. Ken Kanakin. I saw Dr. Ken and, and, and Ken is a chiro by trade and then, or by training. And then he works a lot with power lifters. And then he looked at my knees like, oh, you'll be fine. I'm like, what? He's like, oh, it's not. It's a little, it's a little lax in the joint. You know, you just got to stiffen it up. It'll get better. I'm like, oh, really? He's like, oh, I've seen way worse. You're totally going to be fine. And just the fact that I had one person make me feel like I'm going to be fine and it's not a real issue, I felt better the next day. 
like he didn't do any treatment on me in the day after and the day after just it got better just having a different mindset being like oh i i'll be okay i don't have to actually get my knee replaced at age 30 you know what i mean and it was just so interesting because i was always kind of like the you know the trainer and the athlete i'm like i'll be fine but the, the more someone kept saying these negative things it changed my whole mindset at it then as soon as someone said something positive i was like oh i'm good to go yeah it's crazy how like these labels can affect our perception because like one thing like i got into the path of i labeled myself as the guy who was always injured and i ended up being like always injured or always kind of hyper aware hypersensitive like almost like i remember after like the recurring shoulder injuries like there there was a point where i was afraid to do a shoulder overhead press i'm like oh no i was like probably 21 i was like you know i, I can't do barbell overhead presses i can't i don't really train my shoulders because i don't want to get hurt and i remember there's a period where I, I think all i did was like biceps and back and i didn't even i was like afraid to train my chest because i didn't want to injure my shoulders and mm-hmm. like i let myself go some pretty down some pretty you know tough paths because I think a lot of it was like, I just was just like, I'm injury prone when in reality, like it, it, it just like those labels can really have a detrimental impact. Like if you tell yourself you're somebody who's not mobile or flexible, then you probably won't ever be, you know, achieve that goal. And just like for people who are out of shape, if you tell yourself that, then, you know, we, we really do have a power effect in terms of manifesting our, our lives. 100%. Yeah. Wherever you identify with, you will be. So if somebody identified themselves as tight, stiff, and they wanted to get some help, you know, I see you have a, um, you have a free desk mobility routine, you know, on your IG page and stuff. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about how you work with people online and what they can expect. Yeah, so I've been doing online mobility coaching for the last six or seven years now. And what we do is we start to kind of get to know where you the clients are in terms of like where their mobility restrictions are or where they feel stiff or what you know what issues they're having what muscle imbalances they have and then we kind of understand what where they want to be so i help people understand like paint a picture i'm like we're going to figure out where your goals or where your struggles are and where you want to be and once you get there and if we can get your mobility better then what does that unlock for you like how does that what ways is that going to change you know change your life or it will change your, your fitness and training goals so we first try to understand and paint a picture of you know what, what's possible if we first kind of i like to get them hyped up i'm like all right if we're gonna work together like we're gonna make a plan to to get to this goal so and then we do like a an online movement assessment so we, it's a it's a two-step assessment so the first part i'll have clients record themselves doing 10 to 12 you know different exercises depending on what we're assessing and then we do a second live assessment to reassess those issues to see if one they're you know more structural more muscular stiffness or they can be coached out of and i i like to have the recording first off so i can kind of prepare get an idea see how they're moving without too much instructions and me kind of changing how they would normally move and then kind of you know from there i would assess you know figure out this is where i think you know the main why you're having this pain this is where the imbalances are in terms of your mobility and these are the you know the three main keys we're going to focus on working for you so for everyone it is you know personalized so it's, it's I, the thing i like about it is a lot there's a lot of back and forth like you know not every exercise works for somebody or sometimes they need a modifications but in terms of like everything we said like there's so much more than just doing the mobility like you know there's the stress management there's the breathing so that's why i find like it's really important to have a, a mobility coach or even like a trainer mm-hmm. who is is aware of these things because it's hard to really like i struggled to manage it all on my own so 
I, I with that I like to you know check in with the people I'm working with in terms of like making sure we're we're, we're making the mobility work and whatever we're giving them actually you know easily fit into their lifestyle throughout day to day or into their warm-ups at the gym because people don't have an extra hour to do to do each day so it's really personalized down to you know y- your work type your schedule what you know what they have mm-hmm. accessible to and then it's like I, i'm sure you tell your class the same thing it's a collaboration between you and me so you know as much or as little support as you need we're just gonna you know work together to find you know a good working relationship and i find like a lot of my clients i you know really good friends with Nax, really get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not just like the thing people mistake is mobility work. If you have mobility goals, we can still make workouts that are going to help you get more mobile. It's not like you're just going to be doing stretching or yoga, but we're going to find ways to integrate into your workout. So you don't even need to think about it. Yeah, I love that. And uh, do you do live with them? Like you do like a virtual session? Yeah, we we do. uh, We have different types of ways we do mobility coaching. Like I have an online uh, group coaching program, which is uh, um, like a a coaching group where people will be. They'll start at the same time and they'll be in that for three months. And I find it very supportive. And that program is for deskbound men under forty. So I like to. I primarily work with like deskbound men. So that program is for like deskbound men under 40. It's a really supportive community because a lot of them have similar goals in terms of, you know, Mm -hmm. able to keep training pain-free and be able to, you know, keep playing with their kids. So for those, we'll have group coaching calls. And then for my one-on-one clients, like we'll check in on Zoom. We'll do form analysis. We'll do kind of coaching mindset feedback and stuff like that. And there's some clients who just, you know, hit the doors running. Like we make them a program and they get excellent results. But like, those are all like, these are all things that are options to the people I work with. Cause we don't want, cause there's, I've had some people who were like, we start off with like a lot of, a lot of zoom stuff, but they're like, it, it the schedules change or they're more yeah. of like, I can do it on my own person. So I like to make it flexible. Like in terms of like, if you need some support, we can, you know, we can get that. Or if you need me to check in with you in a few weeks, like we can do that. It's really like whatever the client's looking for, but I just make sure like, like sometimes I know people I check in once or twice a week. I'm like, you know, I'm just checking in. Give me a thumbs up that you're doing your stuff, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes too, like people do fall off like, with yeah. mo- mobility. So like, it's our job as the coaches, like to really, you know, give them a, a kick in the ass. I think it's such a good idea to have a mobility coach. I mean, uh, the reality is, is today's day and age is people are very busy and they don't prioritize certain things or they're prioritizing other things and they don't have time for it. So all of a sudden working with someone like yourself, a mobility coach is I hired a mobility coach. This person's going to take care by guiding me in the right direction. They're going to be giving me what information do I need to know to get the most out of my time. Then I don't have to think about it because you mentioned this like the first sentence. When everybody goes to the gym and they're stiff and they're tight and they want to mobilize, what's the first thing they do? They jump on the foam roller. In this last hour, you talk, you never said foam rolling once to get somebody better. So there's an example. If you're listening right now and you're like, oh, I go to the gym and I'm stiff and I want to, you know, I jump on the roller. There's probably a better solution for you. So, you know, I have a dentist who takes care of my teeth. I brush them every day. He does all the other stuff. I think it's a good idea for people to have mobility coaches as well. So if somebody wanted to, to, to hire you, how do they go about that? So if you wanted to hire me or you even just wanted to chat or do an assessment to see what it would be like to work together, you can message me on Instagram at desk, D-E-S-K-B-O-U-N-D, therapy, deskbound therapy, 
or you can go to my website www.despontherapy.com forward slash coaching and you can uh, fill out you know an application to work together or if you just had some general questions you can email me david at deskboundtherapy.com you know i'd be happy to i'll reply to any of those you know those platforms there um, if you have any questions about what it would be look like to work together, I'm, you know, I'm always open to chat with people to even if they unsure what to get started or, or they're, you know, mobile, want to take it to the next level. I'm happy to, I, I'm always, you know, open to booking a free call with someone to see if, you know, we're a good fit to work together. Cause I like to make sure, you know, the people I work with, you know, you know, we're going to, we're going to be working together a lot. So, you know, I like to make sure, you know, we, we, we know we have good chemistry, so there's no obligation if we chat to, to work together, just get to know each other and see if we're a good fit. Yeah. And if you're listening to this now, I'll put all that information into the show notes. So you can just hit the X, go down to the show notes and then click on those links there if you want to get in touch with David. David, it's been a pleasure having you on here. I think mobility is a, a un, it's a unused and an untapped priority when it comes to people's training to allow people to get the most out of their training and the most of their life. And I really enjoyed having you on the project fitness podcast, talking about what you do and how you help people. So formally, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure and a great conversation. Uh, looking forward to hopefully getting out there. We can train together sometime in the near future. Or we could mobilize together. Oh, mobilize together. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, David. Take care. See ya. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.